0: This is the Context Podcast, brought to you by Geist Interactive. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Today, we have the special honor of talking with Wim DeCourt. He's been around forever. He's a multiple award-winning community leader, a speaker at many DevCons, and one of the nicest guys out there. We talk about the main milestones of the FileMaker platform, and Wim summarizes his DevCon session on Zabbix. We end the time with the definitive context of when certain techniques and functions should be used. It's great to talk to Wim and Todd today. Hello, hello.
1: Hi, Wim. Hey, good to see you again and hear you.
0: So yeah, this is, I'm glad uh, you could take some time out of your day to, to talk with us. Uh, it's good to, to talk with uh, people in the community that have been around for a while, that have seen all the great... Innovations, the changes, and just uh, are excited about the future of, of our platform. So glad you're you're here with us. So uh, it occurs to me as we are, as I was thinking about this and and preparing for for Wim that uh, there's a an interesting work triangle here that that's going on. Um, Todd and Wim, you work together. You met a long time ago and work together, and you can tell us about that in a minute. And both of you have or had the distinct pleasure of working with me so this is a an interesting little triangle here that we have right um wim how did you meet todd todd how did you meet wim
2: i i don't actually remember exactly how we met it was probably oh yes i do it was probably friday night chat wasn't it does that sound right wim
1: i I would say so i would say so i don't think that there was any particular event but, uh, but yes Back when I was in Europe, I I did um, participate a lot in those Friday night events, and and uh, that must have been it.
2: Yeah, I I believe those things are still going on, uh, which is pretty impressive. And and but for for uh, for folks who who don't know what that is, so this was this was really pre internet almost. I mean, this was very early days. This was late nineties, um, probably somewhere in there, um, and there were these kind of chat applications maybe like like the early versions of of AOL messenger and i don't remember the name of the product that we were using but we had some free open source thing and somebody would host it on a server. And then every Friday night we would get on and talk about FileMaker for really until the last person went to bed. (laughs) It seemed like, but that was, that was pretty important um, for me in those early days. And that's how I, I remember meeting you there. And I eventually ended up um, getting connected with Danny Mack through some of those contacts as well. But that was like, that was, you know, way before social media, way before World Wide web, but it was definitely a way of sort of of talking, reaching, and talking to people that were, you know, doing what you were doing, but maybe lived all over the world. So, where were you living at that time?
1: I, I was in Belgium okay. at the time because yeah. um, I'd moved around Europe um, a fair bit before I came to um, to the US. Well, I got actually to Canada the first time um, because this mm-hmm. is my second stint in Canada. Um, but likewise, for me, those Friday night chats were were hugely important. Um, and Jeremy, you you may remember this from from our long conversations around. Uh, what it takes to be a good FileMaker developer and to be in the community. Um, for me being in Europe at the time, I felt sort of um, on a bit of an island, uh, mainly because the FileMaker community in Europe wasn't wasn't very strong. It is much stronger now, but at the time there were very few resources. Um, and I was trying to learn FileMaker at the time, right? I came to FileMaker in the mid 90s and uh, and I came from from an Access VB6 background with a little bit of SQL Server in there, I didn't know anything about FileMaker and this FileMaker community was very inviting, very warm and, and helped me get through that learning curve quickly. Um, and, and the Friday night chats were instrumental in that. At the time we didn't really have forums, right? We had email lists like Blue World yeah. and FM experts and those kinds of things. So I was soaking it all up. I was trying to participate in as many of those as I could.
2: Yeah, and I remember it was, um, it was kind of amazing because I, I think, wasn't dave mckee on that on that chat from time to time he was absolutely he was and he, he, was, he was a and still is a file maker uh, engineer so we had we just we just had some um just, we just had some great people on there and it was at that time we like 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 Wim said we only the only other way we had to communicate was was email and and email lists were great and very useful but they weren't real time so having the chat was awesome i mean it's it's kind of hard to even even to to imagine that at the time if you wanted to learn FileMaker uh, books were like your best option, you bought books um, and, and I remember I lived um, back then, I lived down the street from a book, first of all I lived down the street from a bookstore, which is odd because there's not many of those left and, and the even crazier thing is this bookstore only carried books about computer programming, that was our whole business so yeah, a little bit of a different world today for sure Today's episode
0: is brought to you by Geist Interactive. Have you ever had to do something in FileMaker that is a little bit out of your wheelhouse or is a little bit too tedious or needs a lot of customization? Well, we at Geist Interactive stand ready to help you out. We offer implementation packages that you can purchase to assign us tasks to do. An implementation package gets 3 or 10 or 20 hours of our time to do whatever you need, cleaning out your office and laundry not applicable. We are here to help you build a web viewer widget, to connect to an API and parse the result, or to just build reports. We can turn our experienced eye towards your solution and offer suggestions. And we can customize GoDraw or Barcode Creator or Auto Implementations to fit exactly what you need. We can even work with other products and make them work for you. An implementation package is a great way to offload some tough or tedious or customized tasks to someone else, us, with expertise in the entire FileMaker platform. Pick up an implementation package and tell us what to do. So you guys, you two actually met... Talking on on the interweb rather than in person, right? It was a year or so before you actually met in person.
2: I I don't actually remember how long it was. Um, I think the first time I met you was when Danny Mac and I went to Canada to talk to to talk to the the user group up there that Barney and Core was running, Core Solutions were running. Yep, that sound about right. It it it
1: did absolutely. my very first defcon was 99 that was san diego yeah um and i met a bunch of people there that i only knew by name yeah. but that was that was overwhelming and and, and greatly satisfying uh, but yeah i think you, you and danny came up to uh, toronto uh, mm-hmm. to speak at the sofa meeting and that's when we really um got to meet in person for the first time
2: yeah i think so mm-hmm. that was probably around it was probably in preparation for FM7, which at the time was a massive change that was coming. And I think Danny and I were doing some kind of a road show or something. I don't remember. But it, it feels like it was probably around there, around migration or something, getting from 6 to 7. So I don't know when that was. Early 2000s maybe, something like that. Yeah, early two
1: thousands, and um, and you guys were working on that massive white paper on yeah,
2: yeah the migration mi- white paper,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, and metadata magic to help out with uh, with all of those and, and list every single thing that that was important in, in going from six to seven, yeah, and and at the time I had started working on on um, uh, FM robot, right? Yes, FM yeah. robot. Uh, yeah. So that led to our very first, uh, I would say, big corporation um, to, uh, to uh where you guys helped me market and, and sell that thing. Yep.
0: Yep. That was uh, that was New Millennium. Todd, you were working with um, Matt, Danny Mac at New yeah. Millennium, correct? Yeah,
2: uh, New Millennium, um, which changed their name uh, recently to Conan. So their uh, new new name. But back then, it was New Millennium. And um, I learned uh, that's where I really learned. um that was the game changer for me, having access to a Platinum partner uh, and all the business that was going on there. And then Danny Mack, who was, who was just um, really just knew everything there was to know about how the FileMaker engine worked. And so I learned an awful lot from being there. And, and we did. Yeah. Uh, so Wim, you, you,
0: did you actually work for New Millennium or did you just give a product to them to market and, and sell?
1: At that time, um, I was still running my own company, Connecting Data. So this was just a collaboration where I would do the technical sides. And I had no interest in, in actually selling and, and marketing and all of that. And, and I wasn't good at it anyway. Um, so that's when um, when we put that thing together with New Millennium so okay. that they would put it on the website and take care of all the sales and the marketing. And I, that would free me up to just continue to build on, on that little uh, product there that was uh, uh, fairly successful at the time. And eventually it led to me joining a new millennium i believe thought that was when you set out uh, and uh, put out your own shingle
2: yeah uh, i left in the, uh, yeah I, I left in 2000 um like january of 2005 and so you you joined up a little bit after that as i remember okay. Yep. but okay. but we should mention what, what fm robot was because it was pretty cool so this was this was a tool that Wim created that would automatically create um, your relationships in in the relationship graph, which was a, a which was a big boon if you're doing migrations and you wanted to you wanted to pull things together or whatever. But the 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 um it was doing GUI automation and it would sort of you know you could it would it would go through and create all the all the relationships by automating the GUI and you did it for both Mac and Windows. So it was like you had to do it almost twice, right? This was because before FileMaker Seven, you had separate files right. for
0: each table and. Seven brought in one file, many tables. And so FM robot built those relationships based on the relationships that were between the different files, is that correct?
1: Pretty much, you would basically, it all started with running an XML DDR on the original files. Um, then loading those into FM Robot and then making your selections of what it is that you wanted to consolidate basically into one file. And then you would click a button and FM Robot would go to work. It would, um, like uh, Todd said, it would manipulate the UI. It would basically mimic everything that you had to do manually to uh, to build new TOs and, and build the relationships and value lists and tables and fields and, and all of that stuff. Only it would do it much faster and with much more accuracy, right? Because it just read from the DDR and, and did everything for you. And it was really funny because it was meant to be a tool that uh, would free up people's time, right? So that they wouldn't have to do it manually. And, and the, the, the comment that I got most frequently was that people would just watch it because it was
2: fascinating to watch. <laughs> it didn't didn't free up much time. It yeah. did not.
0: So then, so you two... You joined New Millennium, uh, Wim, and at the same time roughly that Todd uh, left and started Geist Interactive. Mm-hmm. And so you you've never physically worked at the same company together. No. Uh, okay, but you you interacted on the in the community and the the Friday night chats and through the product connection.
2: Mm-hmm. That's so, right. Yeah. All
0: right. And then you know uh, when did you join Salient Consulting, Wim?
1: Um, I left New Millennium. Um, back in 2009, when I took the job at HSBC on, in Bermuda. That's right. That's right. Um, so I was there for two and a half years thereabouts. Um, and when my job there was largely done, um, I got in touch with... I must have been at the DEF CON. You know how it goes. You talk to um, everybody. And I was talking to Bob Bowers at Alliance, just explaining where I was and, and, and all of that. And, um, and that led to... Um, Soline was just about to open the Philadelphia office at the time. So they wanted to, uh, someone to help them build it out um uh, and basically lead that farming team over there. Um which is how I came to join them. And and you were one of the first hires there um that I uh, that I did um You're because we, we wanted to flesh out that uh, that office at the time. Soline had um, an actual office in Chicago and in San Francisco. Um so oh, that- When was that? 2013,
0: I think, right? I joined Salient in 2013. And even though that was my first connection with you in person, I had actually seen you on the forums. I remember when I was interviewing with Salient, they told me that I was going to be doing a skills test with some guy named Wim deCourt. And I was like, that name sounds familiar. Let me, oh, I'm going to go look in the community. And sure enough, Wim had answered a lot of my questions as I was learning FileMaker and, you know, doing all the struggling of an in-house developer. So that was quite, I must say, quite intimidating to do that skills test the first time, you know, with, with Wim there, but, uh, (laughs) it worked out. They, they took a chance and, uh, got to work with Wim for four years. Um, I think probably Wim, I probably communicated with you more than anybody else. And you probably had me bugging you more than anybody else. All right.
1: (laughs) Um, I would say that's accurate
0: yeah <laughs> uh, yep i especially in those first couple of years and you know I, I must say Todd has a lot to be thankful for because I bother him less because <laughs> I have learned <laughs> I've learned a lot from Wim and have learned not to uh, bug the the boss uh, all that much but uh,
1: it, it came at a good time because thats alliance at around that time we um we had we had grown a fair bit um and uh, we were starting to take mentoring very seriously at the time, right? Where we historically have been able to attract really good people at Solions. Um, but there comes a point where you can't really leave that to chance, right? So the, the whole culture and, and spreading the knowledge around has to come from, from an effort. That's so, right. um, so that's what we were doing at at Soliant, uh, pairing everybody up with a mentor. A mentor that would typically be different than your direct manager so that you'd have um influence from uh, from two sides so to speak right so, uh, so. i always I always joked
0: with people that you know we we have a weekly we had a weekly check in right a weekly call and you you had that with all of your reports and most of your reports you were just like hey how's it going okay bye you know five <laughs> minutes whatever i purposely took the whole dang hour to <laughs> talk with you about filemaker to talk with you about the community to talk with you about people at filemaker it was my time to to talk, right? So <laughs> I don't regret it at all, right? So no, me neither.
1: I think it was all good. I think it, um, it really helped to uh, to define for us what a what a good mentorship role would look like, right? Because okay. we, we covered, and I'm sure we'll go into some of the topics later on, but we, we covered pretty much everything that there, were, that there was, not just the technical aspects of how do you use a particular technique and, and why would you use, use a technique here and not there, um, but also the whole aspect of if FileMaker is going to be your livelihood to a large extent, what does that mean? What does that mean in in forging relationships with people at FileMaker in the community, all of those things?
2: Yeah. because The technical part is, is really, you know, when when, when, when you're learning, Early on, the technical part seems to be, you know, just like the the only thing that matters, or at least it did to me early on. Is that was the, that was the most important part, and certainly understanding how FileMaker works deeply is is, is really important if you're going to be in if if you're going to make this a career. But there's so many other parts to having a having a successful career in this business that really actually don't have as don't have that much to do with you know how a particular script or function works. It's just it's how to function in the community. it's how to how to figure out w- uh, when the right time is to use certain techniques. Um, does this mm-hmm. make sense for this business at this time? All the context that goes around how to actually practice this craft this this profession only comes from experience. and it, you can't it it is not um, really technical in nature in terms of like understanding code. It's just something you have to learn. And I think mentoring is. Is a really important part of that. I mean, I got that from Danny Mac. That was the that was the part that I got from him. I I learned how to function in the community. I learned how to talk to people at FileMaker and mm-hmm. how to develop relationships with with um, with, mm-hmm. with the folks there. Just essential stuff, really.
0: Wim, who was your mentor roughly when you, as you were coming up? Can you name a person?
1: I, I had I had a couple um, uh, coming up, and they served different purposes, so to speak. Um, uh, people like like Todd, Beverly Voth, um, Stephen Blackwell, Anne Verinder back in the time. Yeah, Anne. Yeah. Um, they they taught me all different aspects from the purely technical to um, to how do you how do you do a proper client handholding. Um yeah. The because I agree with with Todd. The technical aspect of our job is crucial, uh, but it's only uh, just a part of it, right? And it's ever changing. Uh, and when you go to a client's and you're trying to solve their problem, you need the technical tools to do it, obviously, right? Um, but what you're really selling is trust. Uh, if right. the client doesn't trust that you will listen to them, that you will understand what they're saying, and that you will deliver what you promise, um, you'll have no business. And it doesn't really matter how good and crafty you are at, at scripting or recursive functions. If you cannot convey that, then then you're dead in the water. Um, That's right. The, uh, and that is if you want to be a well-rounded, say, developer slash consultant. Um, at the time that, that you joined the Jeremy Etzel line we were sort of like defining that as well, right? Because some people want to be coders, where they say, I don't want to deal with a customer. And that's fine too. Um, but you need that exposure to figure out where you fit. Are you one of those where you say, well, just give me a spec and I'll code to it, I'll deliver it, but don't bother me with BA or, or project management or anything like that. You can be the total other side where you start off as as a developer writing code, only to find that this whole business analysis and project management is more your thing. So you sort of grow in that way. And mm-hmm. the middle ground is is sort of what we call a consultant, right? Somebody who can sit down with a customer and, and understand what it is that they're trying to achieve, and then turn around and and write has the technical skills to to deliver uh, the solution itself.
0: When uh, I came to Salient from teaching, I had taught for 15 years, and every year of that my tenure, I was with someone else talking with them about my craft, talking with them about the technical, about how to work with kids and parents. And I had I had a lot to learn and learned a lot and was able to do some mentorship at the end. So when I came to Lion, I was really, when I got into the FileMaker community, I was really interested in keeping that tradition going. And, you know, I may have pushed you a little bit to do that, but it actually, it actually worked out really well. I think it was a, It was good for me and i i think it's good for the filemaker community you both mentioned technical is a part of it but also learning how to navigate the people the the human side of working in the filemaker community as well right there's lot we had a lot of conversations i have a lot of conversations with both of you about just interacting with people and dealing with the uh the human side of of filemaker
2: right? right right
0: yeah um and of course, you know, mentors are also good for just listening to the mentee rant and rave and BS and just get stuff off their chest. Right. That's important part, too. So
1: Absolutely. And I've told you a few times uh, when I probably should look them up. Some of my early posts on, on those email lists like Blue World and FM experts, uh, I would probably cringe when I read them back because I was <laughs> full of piss of vinegar. And I would say, i effing this and effing that. And why doesn't it do what cool. I want it to do? Um, so my, 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 human skills were pretty much zero at the time, um, because it was all about me, of course. So I, I had to be taught how to do that. And once I realized how much the family community and all those people that I mentioned, uh, and other people like Dave Knight and, and, uh, and, and, others have meant and helped me freely. Right. Um, mm-hmm. because they, they believe in the platform and they believe in, in, in sharing and and for me that comes with a responsibility. And I, I say this often, when I participate on the community, I, I do it for a couple of reasons. But one of the big reasons is that I'm just paying it forward. The people mm-hmm. who were there before me helped me and I'm I'm trying to do the same thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you two have been around a heck of a long time. And I'm just I I love hearing the history of, of FileMakers. So I, I we don't have 20 hours to do this, but we saw this year a huge transition a huge disrupt um in what we're doing and what the future is and we're all excited about it what can you think of other times when this really when the file com- the filemaker community was rocked with something new something different something pushing us forward
1: sure i i think the first big milestone was uh, filemaker 3 when when it became relational um that changed uh, I think that changed it from being a bit of a toy to something that, that you could take seriously and, and and build great things with. Famica 7 was another one because now we, we have the multiple tables uh, in one file and, and all of these things. But most of the changes in the platform have been fairly gradual, right? Every new release we had, we had a bunch of, of new goodies that we could use. Uh, the um, For me, the biggest changes really came... Um, I would say FileMaker 1516, the insert from URL with its curl options, that really opened the door to uh, to doing integrations really well, all right? And, and I, I say this to everybody who wants to listen, FileMaker is really great at at integrating, not just integrating from inside FileMaker to something else, but the other way around as well. Um, along the way with FileMaker 9, we had the XML API, which was great. Um, uh, which and has been fl- has been flying under the radar uh, for the most part of its life, but as an integration tool, it was uh, it was fantastic.
2: I would agree. I mean, I, I said before, I think in our, on one of our earlier podcasts, sixteen was the was was the I, I think the the very beginning of this next change, and and that was insert from URL. It was also JSON functions, um, and it was the data API uh, move, and the XML API has been there um, for a, for a while, and it's been it's been good but i think the shift to to a more modern rest api was just an important um it was an important milestone in sort of realigning what FileMaker is really good at and i would also really agree with Wim. i mean i can't i can't emphasize this enough either i mean we we find ourselves in a time uh in this industry where integration is a huge problem massive um, you, I mean, it's hard to know what, you know what kind of numbers to put on, on any of these things. But, but in terms of the problems that businesses have to solve today, integration is bigger now than it's ever been. And it, it comes across pretty much all levels of businesses, maybe not the very smallest businesses that are just getting started, starting out or you know, just you know, sole proprietor type things. But once you have you know, five, 5, 10, 15, 20 people, in a business, you're going to be using other applications and those applications have APIs. And and from then on up, you're dealing with integration all the time and and um, FileMaker is actually really good at this and it's not it isn't just about insert from URL and isn't just about the JSON functions or the data API. The, The I think what's. What what I what I don't think is well appreciated is that if you're going to do integrations, if you're going to move data from one application to another, from or from one SaaS app to your filemaker app, you're going to require more than just the ability to transmit the data back and forth, which you get from insert from URL um, JSON functions and maybe the and then the the REST API. You also need a database because you're going to need to store data about the about the integrations that you're doing. So you might have to store metadata about like when the last time you connected to a particular service is to get that data. So you're gonna need to store information like that. You might need to store data about the um, uh, uh, you might need to store additional data about records in QuickBooks, for example, like where so I've got these timesheet entries. What invoice were those timesheet entries actually? paid on? You know, when did I actually send those timesheets entries to to the client for them to pay on them? So that might be data that you can't store in QuickBooks. You got to store somewhere. And so you're going to need the database. You're going to need persistence. And then the other thing you're going to need is you're going to need a GUI. You're going to need to have the ability to create interfaces about your integration. So whether or not it's like when the last time this integration ran, were there any errors? What can I do to fix those errors? Or you're going to need to create dashboards which summarize the data from different from different applications and pull them together to give people kind of a unified view onto onto these disparate apps. So if that's the problem, and it is, if the problem is integration, um, which is a massive problem, and you need a tool to solve it, it's going to have to do all those things. It's got to be able to connect. It's got to be able to store data, and it's got to be able to do UI. I, I frankly, I, I I'm not aware of another tool that has the suite as well integrated um anywhere out there besides filemaker it's really good at this
1: agreed and and to um i would add two more points to that um because and people we we know that it's there because we we use it every time and every day uh, but we don't really appreciate it enough i think the fact that filemaker as a platform has that instant propagation of data and schema yeah uh, if you combine that with uh, with everything that you just said you you have something extremely powerful right? Um
2: yeah, I think I think this this is actually I mean I, I just uh, I'm frankly it's it's amazing really in some ways that we find ourselves in this spot. I mean there there have been times when FileMaker was a was a really great match for 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 the industry and I would say that was in the in the in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And then there was a time when the industry was moving in different directions, and FileMaker was, was maybe on the maybe on the fringes a little bit more. Um, and then to you know for 25 years later, to find ourselves in this place where the where, you know maybe the primary problem that all businesses face is integration, and to find ourselves with a tool that's really good at that, I mean what a miracle! I mean it's really it's really astounding. So we should all be grateful. <laughs> I think for all of us that have been, that have spent our careers. Doing FileMaker to find ourselves with a skill set that is applicable to solving problems that pretty much every business on the planet has, and then when you you know you you couple that with the fact that you can build you know um, you can build apps that run on mobile and you can still build web apps and you can still do all these other things. I mean that's just that's just frankly astounding. Uh, so we should all be pretty grateful for for the turn of events and you know I mean thankful for FileMaker for being able to stick around and keep adding that gradual. The, those changes that kick that kept us relevant. And then to start this new reboot at this time when the problem space is changing so radically and just this, this awesome opportunity, really, uh, I mean, it, it's a miracle in an awful lot of ways. I'm really disappointed in both of you that you did not mention the web viewer. <laughs> well, there's the web viewer too. Um, yeah. I mean, you uh, viewer? Talk about that, but yeah, that's a massive one. And, uh, you know that came in FileMaker 8.5. I remember it well. And um, I in that that DevCon, I actually, as far as I know, I think I was the first one to present on on WebViewer widgets. But at that time, we were using like Flash. <laughs> we were making apps in Flash and running them inside of WebViewers, and they were talking through the XML gateway, or was it X? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm trying to remember when the XML gateway actually shipped, but it was somewhere in there. But I'm pretty sure that's what we were using at the time. When yeah. When
0: FileMaker 8.5 came out with the web viewer, did did that brought JavaScript into FileMaker natively? It did, but not searched, really.
2: Right? There were there were a lot of roadblocks. So at the time, oh, okay. the the browser, um, the dominant browser of the day was IE6 or IE5, somewhere in there, and JavaScript had a was not well regarded um, at all. Uh, the primary problem was that. The Microsoft version of JavaScript and the um, Safari or Chrome or whatever the other versions were that were around, were radically different. And so it was it was quite challenging to produce applications that would run consistently across browsers. And that's where the the first JavaScript frameworks that came online, even before jQuery were focused on that. So they were they were focused on simply making a, a version of JavaScript that would run on all browsers. So we had that problem. And then the other thing is that Flash was was really where all the innovation was at the time. So people were making Flash applications, and Flash was a plugin that ran in the browser. And it was um, uh, it was much better, frankly, than JavaScript was at the time. So a lot of people were doing Flash apps. But Flash had an HTTP uh, um, uh, um, client, and so you could talk to FileMaker server that way, and we were doing things like that, even back then. So... Where- when did you do a lot
0: with the web viewer way back when?
2: Not really. Um, for the same reasons as um,
1: as Todd is outlining, there wasn't, except for Flash, and, and I at the time, I looked at it and I didn't want to spend my time going through that learning curve. But there wasn't a, a unified language um, to, to make all of this happen and one that was stable. Um, it, it's the main reason that I never got into web publishing big time, except through the ODBC and XML APIs at the time, because we had CDML and, and then later PHP. And it it seemed to change often enough and dramatically enough that I, I never got into that yeah. uh, until JavaScript really became much more mature like it is now.
2: Yeah. I mean, JavaScript, the, the big change in JavaScript was, was when, um, when it started, when, when Chrome got big, Firefox, initially started up the browser wars again, but then Chrome and, and once the browser wars really got going again, and, and then, uh, and then the other thing was, was no JS coming on the scene. And then that, that sort of just, it just took off from there. And so now we have a scenario. We still, the web viewer is still a little bit rough on the, on the Windows side because we're still using IE, but um, it's IE 11, which is, uh, you know, you have to be careful, but it's pretty. It's I mean, compared to what it was back in those days, um, I, I mean, it's doable. You just you just need to know the you just need to know the few things you got to do to to make sure it works there. And and with modern JavaScript frameworks, you can usually transpile down to to a version that 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 runs in IE 11. So so we can deal with it. But back in those days, no, it was a nightmare. <laughs> all right. All right.
0: Well, it's a good thing I came when I did then, because, you know, I would have nothing to do right now. So, <laughs> so the uh, the this final this last DevCon, uh, we we all know it as the last FileMaker DevCon, uh, 2019. Um, that it was pretty awesome. I've talked with a lot of people about it. I'm interested, Wim, in your thoughts about DevCon 2019 in general. Specific pieces of it that really struck you. Um, talk to me about your your thoughts about DevCon.
1: The, uh, the overall sentiment is one of pure dynamism. Um, it's amazing. That the new life that's been breathed into, um, into the platform and plus the, the things that are coming that are not necessarily FileMaker related so in Clarus Connect and, and some of the other things that we have seen. For a platform like FileMaker that's been around for 30 years, it's amazing because it doesn't feel stale. right? It doesn't feel like we're coming to the end of something. It, it just feels like a, a new beginning and we've had that from time to time because i remember back in the day like when tamac 6 was around tamac 6 or that particular version was around for quite a a good number of years and there was the beginning where a lot of things were new and then we had a few defcon's where everything was really mature and people really knew how how it all worked and now the pace is is completely different which is all good and this defcon this this last one we sort of knew that some big things were coming. We didn't quite know what it was in, in a lot of detail, but uh, I, think, I think it's fantastic. Um, one of the main points for me uh, was the way that uh, the new CEO, Brad Freitag, positions himself and, and the company um, with the focus on the partners, uh, where he says, uh, and, and this gets translated in, into Claris and, and their positioning and branding, Way to say yes, we make a product, but it's really about what what you uh, you and and all of us together can make with that, right? So that renewed focus on 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 the partners, I think is for me one of the most exciting things because it transcends just the the product or the platform as we know right now. It promises good things to come, the things that we don't know yet.
0: Yes, very cool. Uh, were you surprised when you walked out of that? opening keynote and everything had changed, the actual name of the company was plastered all over? Was that shocking to you?
1: (laughs) Um, It it was a little weird um, because Todd and I have been around back when Claris was Claris the first time. I had heard some rumors that there was maybe a name change coming, um, but I I wouldn't have picked them going back to Claris. But in hindsight, it, it makes total sense.
0: And you uh, you did a session this year. You do one pretty much every year that you're there. Uh, it was on Zabbix, right? Uh, monitoring yeah. your server with Zabbix, right? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. I noticed you released a bunch of blog posts about that just recently, right?
1: Yes, the um sort of heard to what what Todd was saying before with integrations being the problem to solve these days, and it has been for a while. Um, when I look at my time and I use my time, how I spend my time as the barometer for, for seeing what what's sort of important and what people really want is, um, I, I tend to spend my time either in integrations or in deployments. That's that's just what I do. This Zabbix session really came out of my concern for deployments. Right? It's um, from very early early on in my career, I realized that a solid deployment, it really is a keystone to uh, to what we do, right? Because you can be the best coder, you can be the best FileMaker developer. If you deploy your solution in such a way that it crashes every five minutes, then it doesn't really matter how elegant and and, and well written your code is because the client will not get any value from it. That's right. right? Uh, so you have to be able to deploy it so that it has the best possible uptime, that you know what's going on, that you know how to use those numbers, the the, the statistics, um, the, the the behavior of your file maker server and your solution under whatever the load is, you need to be able to use that and then extrapolate if you talk to the customer and they want to onboard 10 new people, 15 new people, or they want to add a new module, right? You need, need to be able to to use whatever you have now, your your benchmarks and, and your baselines to say, well, knowing what I know about the solution and what you're trying to do with that, we, we may need a new server or we, we may need to, to switch technologies Maybe split servers, or maybe uh, maybe use Web Direct or not use Web Direct, or custom web publishing, or not use custom web publishing. So a lot of those decisions really need to come from from numbers, right? From knowing uh, what your solution is and does uh, as it is deployed. Now, that's sort of like the backdrop. If we look at the admin consoles that we have had for FileMaker server since almost forever, they they used to have a um, two things. Um, a live log viewer so that you can see events that FileMaker Server logs in the event log, uh, and and, the live statistics. FileMaker Server keeps really good statistics across the four traditional bottlenecks, uh, processing power, memory, uh, disk I.O., and network throughput. And you could see those in the admin console. That has gone away with FileMaker Server 17, and there was a fair amount of, of pushback from the community, from developers, where they said, well, we really want that. Right? We, we need it. We need to see what our solution is doing. We need to see the events. We uh, we need to see the numbers, um, and that's where this Zapix presentation came came from. Because um, I've never really used those um, admin console widgets that much because they were very very limited. They just sort of gave a false sense of knowing by looking at them, but they didn't allow you to really go in depth when you wanted to troubleshoot or or figure out what your solution was doing on that particular server. Um, and tools like Zabbix, uh, which is which is open source and uh, so it doesn't have too big of a learning curve to get into, these are tools that are really meant and built for this one purpose, right? So it does make a lot of sense to to embrace them. And Zabbix is not the only tool that does that; it's just a really good example and it happens to be open source. So it, it made, makes a lot of sense to pick one, go to the learning curve, n- get to know it really well, so that you can deploy it for your own servers, your client servers, and, and and add it as a service to what you do as a developer, right? It's not just about the development phase. Way back when I used a sort of like an infographic on that a little bit. If, you, if your solution is going to have a useful lifespan of, say, what, four to five years, which is not uncommon, right? So it can be longer, but say four to five years. If you look at the time that you spend in development, it's going to be what? Maybe three to six months up front? But after that, your solution lives out there, right? Where all these things happen to it—power outages, uh, changes in, in in operating systems, uh, more or less users that get thrown at it. So, so that's where your client gets its value from from using it in that period of time after you're done with your development. So, so keeping using a tool that helps you keep an eye on those things, gives you the warnings, maybe. some action on its own that you have configured to me it's a no-brainer right it makes a lot of sense to invest some time in that is it pretty easy to learn it is like any tool it has a bit of a learning curve um because it's a really good tool with a lot of depth you would expect to spend some time getting to know it but it's not that difficult
0: so you and uh Mislav did the session i think it'll be released here soon um from claris and you have a like I just looked today, you have like five blog posts on it, right?
1: Yes, the okay. uh, The idea is that we will continue to talk about this. Um, all of the stuff that we used and did in, in our DevCon session is um, is on GitHub, right? Uh, in essence, Zabbix works with templates. And templates are the items that you collect data from so that you can keep an eye on them. In, in our current FileMaker template, we, we're tracking about 160 data points or something about your server. Um, and and we we don't want to treat it as proprietary to Soliant or, or to us, right? We just put it on GitHub. Anybody can download it and hopefully contribute to uh, adding the things that they are that they think are important to their to their deployments and and what it is that they want to see out of that. So would you
0: you mentioned that that FileMaker Admin Console had some of the reporting tools that have been pulled out? Would you hazard to make a stance that the, Z- the Zabbix implementation is better than what was previously
1: there? By a country mile. Uh, By a
0: country a, mile, okay.
1: Yeah, there, there is absolutely no comparison. Zabbix as a monitoring tool does everything that those two widgets in the admin console did, uh, and then some, right? It's. it's um, there's really no comparison.
0: So you have no interest in asking FileMaker to put this stuff back into, put back in what they took out. Because,
1: none, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a long list, like I'm sure we all do, of things that I want to see in the platform, uh, and that's what I want the engineers to spend their time on. I don't want them to spend time on something that already exists out there and that does its job really well because it's built for that. Todd, you you agree with
0: that idea?
2: Yeah, I think this is um, this is a uh, uh, what's the right word here? This is um, well, I would say legacy view, but it, it's just um the way things were uh, when when we were coming up maybe is that is that things were i don't know more built into one kind of into one solution um you know a, a sort of a more monolithic monolithic approach to to this sort of stuff but that's not really practical anymore like it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense you can't you you can't keep up if you're trying to create something that is going to do all the things that are also available for free in other products. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense for you to do that as a company. You need to focus on, on the things that make you different. And monitoring a server is not something that makes FileMaker different. There's, there's the, I mean, it, it you, have, you obviously need to be able to monitor your server, but how the server gets monitored is not something that FileMaker really has any, difference than any other kind of server application. So there's no reason for the engineers to spend any time or effort in developing um, some file maker version of that when when they when they exist. And that that I think is um, can be a little bit challenging for for us to adopt as a way forward but I think it's essential in the current environment, you will be pulling uh, tools from different areas and creating, you know, a suite of tools or applications or uh, um, that will do the job for you, uh, b- because you're going to get benefits from that. It's not because you know FileMaker's taking the easy way out. The reason this is good is it'll allow FileMaker to spend more resources on what, what is truly different for them, you know, mm-hmm. in that platform. But also, it's because now you get if you adopt Zabbix, now you get all of Zabbix's changes for free as well. And so you don't have there's you don't have to wait for for those things to ship on the file maker side. You just get new versions of Zabbix whenever they come out. And so that pattern is gonna be, it is, I mean, is being repeated over and over and over again. Decoupling things, breaking them up into modules that can evolve and improve um, on their own and according to their own purpose is the way things are done today. What do we call this, Todd? A custom application. Network. Yeah, so that, that term is a term I, I've been using to describe, um, to, yeah, to, I mean, it sort of fits for this actually. I didn't think it did originally, but when you first brought it up uh, just a second ago, but it sort of does. The idea that, that um, you're going to be pulling things from different sources, you're going to be different applications, and you're going to be integrating them. Um, and, and the unique combination of things that you use uh, as a business are going to be very important. That's going to going to define a big chunk of what makes you different from any other any other business that is in your industry. For example, the the tools that you choose to meet these needs uh, and how you integrate them are going to be a big part of what makes you unique. And and to me, Zabbix is just another one of those things to use
1: an example of something that I've seen in the past couple of days on, on the FileMaker community forums, um, somebody was asking questions about how to do surveys in FileMaker and 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 my instant reaction is don't do it. Right. Because right. like, because if you if you look at it, you're when you build a survey, you're probably not so much interested in the mechanics of how people answer questions. You're interested in the data that comes out of that. Uh, so pick a good survey engine that's out there and there's multiple, use their APIs to integrate with. And then like you, what uh, what you said before, Todd, the, your persistent storage of your data, that's what you really want. That's
2: right. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, Jeremy's done um, done some integrations recently with Gravity Forms, which is if you have WordPress, if you're already running WordPress, Gravity Forms is a great way to put up surveys or forms. and And there's an API and you just pull the data into FileMaker. And there's FM better forms too, right? Yeah, that's another one. And there's um that that's from that's from Charles Dels. And there's also um there's uh, typeform is really interesting. Uh so there's a bunch of these. And there's just you don't need to spend the resources recreating this stuff when it's out there, it's cheap, in some cases free, mm-hmm. and frankly just better than what you're gonna be able to do. You're you're not gonna be able to compete with something like typeforms, for example. I mean this is a company that's got venture capital investment uh, in building the best way to do dynamic forms, to to do to, 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 to do these kinds of forms. You're, how are you going to compete with a company that's maybe has hundreds of engineers working to solve this problem? Um, it, you're just you're just not right. It's not. It's just not something that's going to make a lot of sense. And and then you know you you, you when you come back to, you, and then and then you do any little bit of investigation, you realize that oh my gosh, uh, this is gonna take me just a little bit to learn how to set up a, a survey using Typeform or whatever. And then just a little bit of time to figure out how to pull it down with insert from URL. And I've got this amazing thing in like, you know, one tenth or, or one 20th of the time that it would have taken you to do it on your own. It just, it's just obvious that this is what you wanna do. This is the-
0: Why do you think people, both of you, why do you think people want to build a survey and application in FileMaker?
2: To some extent, probably because they can.
1: Yeah um there's there's a, a good number of FileMaker developers out there that know FileMaker really well, right? That that really know the the tools that FileMaker brings to the table, but are not as well versed um in, in integration, in using APIs, in in looking outside the box if you would, uh, mainly because it's unknown, right? Maybe they've never done it, maybe they think it's it's difficult or or daunting. Where it really isn't after you've done it uh, once, so I think that's probably a big aspect of it, right because we we're so used to building stuff that if a problem comes up, we want to build to it uh, instead of just using what is sometimes known as distributed architecture, right? just parcel off small things, uh, slap an api on it and and use it where you want
2: yeah i think I think that's that's pretty much it i mean from my from my own experience um when I was at new millennium and after. I I I would have loved to have built a full general ledger accounting system in FileMaker <laughs> because I loved the technical challenge of it and and I knew that that I had the skills to pull it off um and uh you know but that that's just it's a tremendous amount of work and you have to be very careful that it's going to have a return on investment otherwise well frankly I never did it and the reason I never did it is because there's no way to get the money to do it i mean there's just no there's no there's no viable funding mechanism around building around building accounting when you've got quickbooks online Xero and other tools that are 50 bucks a month and again thousands of engineers working on this stuff constantly making it better you know you just you just don't have the resources to make that happen so i think it's but i think people when when you learn something like like filemaker and you realize how powerful it is you suddenly just want to tackle all these fun, interesting problems, and that's mm-hmm. that's just be, that's just fun. I mean, I just see that as fun. I've I've always enjoyed the the technical challenge of doing something like accounting that required a lot of database integrity. And it's just it's just fun. It's just interesting to figure out those problems. So there's uh, you know from 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 that perspective, it's just what we like to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I I totally get off on doing those kinds of things. But when you're building solutions. For your company or for your clients, you have to figure out how to do it in a way that has a real economic incentive to, to, to pull it off. Otherwise, it just isn't going to get done. You might start it, but you won't finish it because if there's not a good reason to do it financially, you won't be able to accomplish the goal.
0: Are clients uh, coming to you too with these application networks, this distributed technology in mind, or is its it... Is it- do you have to convince them to adopt Gravity Forms instead of building it in FileMaker?
1: It it depends. There are some customers that that have already adopted this as a as a architecture design pattern. Um, when they come to us, there are others where it, it is just part of the conversation, right? If uh, they outline the problem that they that they need solving, and, and then we bring different solutions to them to say, well. A little little bit of a segue, but it's part of our conversation that we have with with all the customers when they come to us and they want us to build something. We always ask, have you looked around to see if there's something off the shelf that already does that, right? Because it's probably going to be cheaper than us us building something from scratch. And that's a really good conversation starter because maybe they haven't and they can do some homework there, but maybe they have. And they say, well, we looked at this and we looked at that and here are the reasons why uh, we don't think it's a good fit. And if they have done that bit of homework, that's great, right? Because uh, when they bring those thoughts to you or these considerations as to why they don't like what's out there, it it helps us as developers really hone in on what it is that they want, right? Where's the absolute value that that this client is looking for out of what it is that we're going to build for them?
2: Right. I, I would I would add two two points to that. One is, um, uh, we're seeing customers. That are, that have some kind of you know bunch of different apps that they're using. They're not they're not really aware that this is like it wasn't done intentionally. It's just they needed project management, so they got Basecamp. They needed um, they needed sales automation, you know, marketing automation, so they got you know Mailchimp or something like that. And and then they're like, well, how do I get make these things work together? Um, but they haven't thought about about this being, you know, some kind of an, archi- it's not an architectural strategy. Like, I think um, when you, part, again, being an engineer at heart, I think it's easy It's easy for me, and I think for a lot of us to get really into sort of, um, you know, what's the best architecture for this? And I, I think there are good, great arguments for why this is a good architecture to build these, to build custom application networks. But maybe an even more important argument is that, because this is how it's already happened. Like it's it's like this is the reality: is that people have applications that they're using that have critical data in them, and they need to move that data around. And they've done that not because it was the quote unquote technical right thing to do; they've done it because the economic forces uh, and the ease that which they can get in and out of these program uh, out of these applications just makes it what they're gonna do so it's it's being driven by economic forces as much as you know sort of a hey, a distributed architecture conversation or something like that and and that's just the reality that's just that's just the way the way it is so we so we have customers that that have that are that are going down this path that, but I haven't really given it any consideration at all um and i but I think once you have customers uh, get them get them um, you know once they've started down that journey and they and they can see sort of the value of doing doing it in this way uh, it can make a lot of sense and if they've already started down this it's really great because they already understand where a lot of value is is being generated um, by connecting up these applications and then we can zero in on the specific value the specific unique processes that really are going to drive roi for that company and we don't have to worry about you know um we don't have to worry about doing email campaigns for example that's the one I always use because it's been around yep. forever, but we, we can really focus on just what's really good for them. Well, this is a context
0: podcast. And so I thought I would um, end our time together with your two minds, giving us the definitive word <laughs> <laughs> on when something is in con- what, what the context of a particular technique is. Okay. You two, this is the definite word, no other discussions after this, right? Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna say something and then we'll have Wim go and then Todd go, just give me one or two sentences that tell me the context of this particular thing. Are you ready? Ready. Uh, let's let... <laughs> um, execute SQL.
2: Go ahead, Wim. Wim
0: oh.
1: first. Uh,
2: y- use it until it doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, Todd. Um, we we use it, but only with custom functions to prevent uh, field name breakages. And actually, we don't use it that much.
1: Okay. Uh, virtual lists. Um, I I am very fond of them. Um, because they are a great way uh, to consolidate data from different. Uh, it's sort of like views, right? Um, if anybody's familiar with SQL, I think of them as as sort of views. Um. So the context
0: is consolidating data from different tables into one list or one view.
1: Yeah, and, and mainly for display purposes, right? Where, where you really need to show something. Um,
2: I, I, I would pit it against using something like data tables in the web viewer. Yeah. The, the other context I think it's good is actually for doing integrations because you can, you can pull down data as JSON from an API. But then display it in a virtual list without having to create a separate table to do whatever that particular thing is.
0: Unstored uh, calculated fields.
2: Ooh, you don't see me cringe. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, they absolutely have their use because they they're easy. Uh, they have non-persistent storage. They get calculated whenever you need the value. Um, use them carefully, especially. Uh, this would would go out to to the new. Comers to the FileMaker platform, use them sparingly. because um, they can be a big performance hawk.
2: I, I would say the context to avoid there would be if the unstored calcs are reaching across relationships that are sorted, and not sorted, as in you know, bad, but sorted, um, <laughs> and that could potentially have a lot of a lot of related records. Uh, so you know if it's in the same table referencing local fields probably not a big deal but once you start going across those relationships you got to be careful if you're if you're across if you if your calculation crosses any unstored relationship with a lot of tables in it i'm sorry with a lot of records in it it's going to be slow
1: yeah my my a classic example for this is an inventory system, right? If you use an unstored calc to say to calculate the quantity on the hand, then then I would say don't do it, right? Because you'll you'll force your solution to re, to keep recalculating something that it had already calculated a million times before. So yeah. that would not be a good use. Very good, uh, JSON. Oh, absolutely love it. Um, obviously. Its main purpose was for integration purposes, the ability to create payloads to send to the API that you wanna integrate with uh, in the form that it expects it. But clearly internally in FileMaker, it's a great way of of uh, sending uh, objects, multiple pieces of data uh, throughout your solution.
2: Yeah, I would add one more that could be interesting is the ability to do um, ad hoc storage of data that's not easily uh, normalized or not normalized—maybe isn't the right word—but not easily structured. So, kind of almost a no sequel kind of approach. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't base entire solutions around this, but I think it can be used for things like configuration um, uh, and and for being able to store little bits of data on records that you may not be able to predict what what kind of data you're going to be storing there. How about
0: um, layout? calculation tricks
2: i use them um i i think we have a couple of new options that are great we have um we have uh we have button bars and we have the the default values that you can use to create layout calcs which are which can be super useful to not have to add to schema um there we used to do a lot more with these around like calculating values and storing them in global variables but you got to be a little bit careful with that now so i kind of shying away from that a little bit. But definitely for if you can, if you can write, um, if you can use them to do display only calculations, I think that's, that's a very good context for them.
1: When Yep, I would agree if it's, uh, if it's in the um, user interface user experience realm, they they fit perfectly. Um, When they do when they do important things in your scripted workflow, then I would say not, uh, because there's nothing that I hate more than than debugging a workflow, which are typically scripts, only to have to completely quit out of it to go figure out what a calculation does on the layout somewhere. Yeah. yeah.
0: How, about, how about the new while statement uh, function? What's the context that you would use that?
2: So I haven't done a tremendous amount of of testing on the speed yet, I really want, would like, would love it if somebody would do, would, would do some testing on building and parsing large arrays, uh, of, of JSON data because, that's the one area where the JSON functions have been have been not so great um, it, it, uh, natively is in building or parsing large arrays, and we have some good workarounds for that, but uh, I I would love to see a to see somebody do a, a great blog post on on exactly how much faster they are um, to be able to do those kinds of calcs. So I, I would definitely try it. Anytime you need to loop records or other kinds of data, um, great for looping through arrays, for doing summing and things like that. I would definitely try it for just about anything that I needed to do a loop in or any kind of recursive function. I would start with that because I think it it has some serious serious upside potential because you're not having to get out of the calc engine to do, you know, constructing a large list and things like that. But I, ha- I will be honest, I haven't done, I, w- I haven't done enough benchmarking to say, yeah, this is always the go-to. There might be cases where it could be slower. I just don't know. I don't know if Wim has any more info on that.
1: It's still a fresh function. So uh, I don't think that the numbers are out there yet. Um, so I'm like you, I'm looking forward to, uh, to learning more about its performance. Um, the, uh, the obvious use is to take this thing out of recursion. right? Recursion has been a bit of a black arts for a lot of people. So this clearly helps. Um, and, and Jeremy, you will remember this from our many hours of conversation. There's always five different ways of doing things in FileMaker, right? Uh, and, and I would try at least some of them in, in any scenario just to see how it behaves and which one is faster. Um, so the while clearly fits into that. Anytime you have to iterate over something, then then consider the while the one caveat that i would make is that and we've seen this whenever farmaca has a new function or a new shiny thing is is people tend to potentially overuse it just because they can right Mm -hmm. um if a scripted loop will do fine a scripted loop will be so much easier to debug right? right especially if you cram a lot of stuff into one while function
2: yeah yeah that that's maybe a good summary is is that you wanna um if this is something that you're doing in a script it's there's no probably no good reason to use while um Mm -hmm. but if this is something where you want to write a custom function like the like like filtering json for example or summing json you make a nice custom function out of that that then you use in a script that's fine or if you're going to do some kind of like layout um, layout calculation that's fine so look look for the for the things when you're not using a script that those are the places to look but if you're already in a script um while functions are going to be more difficult to maintain
0: quickly on the forum, someone was asking about how to collect related records into an array. Yeah. And one of the good suggestions was the while function, right? But uh, I was thinking about that, I'm th- I was thinking, even though adding extra like a list of field and an actual JSON object field to my table adds schema that's not necessary, I'm sure that I would not use the while function in that case.
2: But I, I haven't. I, I would have to see some numbers. Like like list of, yeah. like the way that we generate large, large JSON arrays from from a found set or even across a relationship is to use, you know, list of or the list calculation function. That's kind of the way we've been doing it. But it does add schema. If somebody was able to show me that the while function was faster, then um I would consider doing that. Um, but I, I I don't know that yet. So I, I can't I can't say but i think i think list of ha- definitely has its place and we know its characteristics quite well and we know listing uh any related json field uh, um on the other side of the relationship works works pretty well so sure. i don't see a reason to definitely dump, um to to exclude while but i i want i want to see more numbers there
0: Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, thank you. This was a rare chance to talk with both of you and me, and uh, just uh, hash the old and the 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 new and the the future. So, um, Wim, if we had ten more hours of your time, I would keep on going, but uh, we'll just have to do this ten more times. Uh, hey, let's um,
2: let's make sure we uh, if there's, uh, I want to know what what kind of things Wim is paying attention to, or what kind of. What kind of stuff he's working on if uh, anything that you can point us at obviously you just talk, we talked about the zabbix stuff and we'll have that in the show notes but are there any other things that you want to make sure to um to highlight uh call out interesting stuff that you're doing or that or that's alliance doing and we'll we'll get those in the show notes as well
1: sure i think the uh, one of our main things is is what uh, you and jeremiah are working on together to some extent is uh, is the java the javascript stuff right our carafe um, and the interoperability with uh, with your tools um, that is currently big for us. It has been a while since since Jeremy started playing with that while at Soliant. Um We really want all of our pharma developers to become. I, I was going to say proficient. That, that that's 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 uh, that's not that's not feasible. But at least uh, conversant, right? So familiar with JavaScript and and how to implement uh, very uh, crucial things with the web viewer. Yep. Uh, and for me personally it's it's all about apis.
0: Yeah. Where can people find you, Wim, um, in the community around town?
1: Um I I open tend to open my mouth a, a fair bit on the com, so that's probably the easiest uh, place to find me.
0: All right. Very good. Well, thank you guys. I uh, appreciate your time and um, I look forward to doing this more more with you with you both, Wim. It's been great to talk with you and uh,
2: Anytime. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, We really appreciate it. Really appreciate you coming on. No
0: worries. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Context Podcast sponsored by Geist Interactive. The Context Podcast is all about FileMaker and the technology that we use within the context of FileMaker. The Context Podcast is found on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Let us know what you think. Give us a rating and a review. Send us feedback, and let us know what topics you would like us to talk about. See you next week. He's a rather um, strange fellow, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm I'm very happy to introduce Wim to court. Hi, Wim. Hey, good to see you again and hear you. Are, are you making fun of my accent, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs>